We would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Preborn. When a mother meets her baby on an ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine connection. And the majority of the time, she will choose life. But she can't do it without our help. Preborn needs us, the pro-life community, to come alongside her. One ultrasound is just $28. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby or visit preborn.com. Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. The U.S. Constitution obligates our government to preserve and protect the rights that our founders recognize come from God our Creator, not our government. I believe that Scripture in the Bible is very clear that God is the one that raised up each of you and God has allowed us to be brought here to this specific moment in time. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. Good morning and happy Friday. And, you know, Fridays occasionally on this show and, and a lot of times on this show, we could try to take kind of the 30,000 foot uh, perspective and talk in general uh, about the different spheres of government that God has ordained, including the family, the church, and the civil government. We tend to focus on the civil government aspect and uh, politics and how we can bring the biblical worldview as Christians and live out our lives in civil government, uh, politics being truth in community, and how does our law reflect truth or sometimes not reflect truth. And one great example of how the law is not reflecting truth is coming from California. And this headline from uh, the Daily Mail, California retailers that refuse to have gender neutral toys for children will be fined up to $500 under the new ultra woke Gavin Newsom law after uproar over LGBT toys sold during Pride Week. So uh, this is a 2021 bill that will be enacted Um, in 2024, and this has compelled some major retailers to have a gender-neutral section. If they fail to comply, they will have to dish out a civil penalty. And this is fascinating to me that uh, the Daily Mail, which is not by any means a conservative outlet, is actually saying uh, and characterizing this bill rightly as ultra-woke in their headline. Um, And so this is Just yet another example of how the law can be used uh, for a purpose that is not truthful, that is uh, not reflecting reality, um, because of course we know there are only two genders. And I'm very grateful that I can say that on AFR without fear of cancellation. Um, I can probably get a lot of hate for that if there are any uh, Democrats or woke lefties that are listening. Well, you know, I'm glad that you're here because you will hear truth from me. Um, And, you know, if they want to tweet at me and they want to say hateful things, well, bring it on because I am no stranger at all to that. Um, So we will continue to talk about truth. And the fact that the LGBT agenda is being so proliferated into society and now being Um, measurably codified into various laws um, around the country. And there are such a clear contrast between states like California, New York, um, Michigan versus states like Florida and Texas um, is really showing how much there is a clear contrast between uh, the, the ideology of conservatives versus progressives. And um, it used to not be that way in terms of how our society was founded. And this is why it's so important to go back 
to our founding and not in the sense of uh, we have to preserve some moment in time. Like a, a lot of the pushback against conservatism is just, well, you want to go back to this romanticized view of the 1950s, you know, the trad wife phenomenon. And no, it's not that, you know, one particular moment in time was necessarily uh, the, the epoch of everything that we should aspire to. It's that some moments in time better reflect the truth of God and of a moral and upright law in society than other moments in time. And we can certainly see that throughout world history. There are some moments in time that were mo- much more evil than other moments in time. And we need to be able to analyze that and contrast it to a clear, biblical, objectively truthful standard. Because if we don't have a standard that is objective of the measurable difference between right and wrong, good and evil, then it becomes totally arbitrary and completely subjective. And that's what our founders did uh, with the uh, the creation of this new society with this novel concept uh, that our rights come from God, our creator, not within uh, whatever the sovereign suggests uh, are human rights or should be rights of um, the serfs versus the landlords or however they wanted to characterize it. Um, this idea that was rightfully recognizing the truth that our rights come from God. And so the sole purpose of government is to preserve and protect those rights. And so as we continue to look at how the contrast has been between uh, generally speaking, conservatives versus progressives. And of course, there are some exceptions to that. You see some people who are so-called conservatives who are actually advocating for leftist principles. Um, you see that, of course, with the breakdown of morality in our society. Um, you see this with the so-called conservative calendar, for example, that a lot of people on social media were, uh, were, were just saying, you know, why, why the outrage among Christians of basically this, this soft porn uh, calendar that showed a lot of women in, in very suggestive positions in very um, skimpy uh, outfits or bikinis and all of that. And it was called conservative and marketed to the quote unquote conservative dad, um, which, which I just find um, horrifically inappropriate. And as a Christian, it's not that I'm offended by that. It's that the the truth of God is offended by that. And so when we have this, this uh, bifurcation between moral truth and conservatism, then what is it exactly that we're conserving? What makes and distinguishes the conservative from the general uh, secular person down the street, right? Well, uh, of course, we can have some principles of conservatism that are promulgated by people who don't believe in God. You can be a capitalist uh, without necessarily being a Christian. And, and that's not an inconsistent position. But if you look at the overarching philosophy of government, the purpose of government from this 30,000 foot perspective, um, we should have a consistent view of government that is outflowing from our understanding of biblical truth. And it has to be consistent. And one of the things that, uh, that I think is so dangerous about the ideology that is being advanced uh, by a lot of younger conservative organizations or even libertarian organizations is that we have this idea that personal morality is subjective and that the only concern that we as Americans should have for civil government should be 
in terms of protecting our freedom or freedom uh, to to contract um, or freedom that uh, the government infringes upon the least and the least amount of government is always best. And the problem for that is that it does not recognize that the Bible says that God ordained civil government and the purpose of government, as uh, Romans 13 says, is to promote good and restrain evil. And, uh, and the whole idea of a moral and upright government is derived from the truth of Scripture. And so when we look at what conservatism should be, yes, that's a, that is a term and a characterization for the overall view of traditional values that are premised and grounded in Scripture and in biblical truth. And, and in some other society, it may not be termed conservatism versus progressive, but overall, we need to be Christians first, not just conservatives. Because if we're looking at, for example, the LGBT agenda that has completely overrun a lot of civil law, um, a lot of so-called conservatives would say, okay, well, that's California. They can do whatever they want. I'm going to live in a red state and I'm not going to participate in that. And I think that's wrong, but, um, you know, but that's okay for California. And we have this whole notion that of tolerance that we've bought into as conservatives, that we are uh, uh, suggesting that somehow a, a freedom means that we tolerate everyone's view of freedom. And that's just as ridiculous, quite frankly, as the understanding of, well, if we are tolerant, then we have to, and freedom means that we have to tolerate everyone's view of human sexuality and of genders. And so uh, so having freedom in this country means that uh, you can believe that there are 50,000 genders or 17 or, you know, New York, I think, is up to like 85 or something. I lost count. Um, and, and we have to just tolerate that. And by tolerating, that inherently means that the law itself should reflect that tolerance. And that's where the breakdown is. Because the law cannot be inconsistent with itself. And when the law is inconsistent with itself and has so many different uh, ways that it comes into conflict with itself, then it's not actually protecting anyone's freedom and liberty. And so if the law protects, for example, the so-called right of California uh, to impose on retailers that refuse to have gender-neutral toys, these type of fines, yet we think that the law is also going to protect religious liberty, then we are confused as a civil society. It's the same confusion that we saw in my former home state of Colorado, where the law supposedly protects religious freedom, but then will force the cake baker or the website designer or the church uh, to affirm same-sex marriage um, on the basis of some kind of notion of participating in society and that you can't exclude people from um, from a business. And so if a church allows any weddings, then the church must allow all weddings. That is fundamentally in conflict. And so there has to be a measurable objective standard that the law imposes on civil society that will not be in conflict. Otherwise, we get to all of this ridiculous, convoluted, 
uh, types of opinions in our judicial branch and in um, the enforcement of law that we're seeing right now in civil society. And the left wants it that way. The left is all about confusion. It's all about conflict. And it's all about forcing their religious beliefs on everyone else. Because the LGBT agenda has been solely focused on tearing down institutions of civil society that God has ordained, including, in particular, the church and the law. And this has been intentional. And um, in the next segment, uh, that and because we're, we're going to have to take a break here in just a minute, but in the next segment, I want to play a speech um, that was given. Um, I think it was back in 2011. So this has been, you know, almost 20 years ago. Um, but th- this is a a beautiful explanation of where the LGBT agenda originated in San Francisco. And what the LGBT agenda was targeting in terms of tearing down our institutions, infiltrating churches, and tearing down law, and and trying on purpose to have the law reflect the arbitrary moral view of the LGBT subscriber so that this would tear down the morality of a society. And so this is given um, by an Orthodox priest, and it was at a conference that was um, at least in part Um, associated with our friends at Alliance Defending Freedom International. This was in the country of Georgia, not the state, um, in case Barack Obama is listening and is confused. (laughs) It is the country of Georgia, not the state. And, uh, And this speech, I think, goes through really, really well the history of the LGBT movement and why conservatives and especially Christians um, and especially, um, you know, people of faith need to reject that and not have this view of, well, if I don't want the government to come after me for being a Christian, then I'm going to have to allow and affirm the government to uh, to tolerate anyone else's view of human sexuality, anyone else's view of what's appropriate for uh, retailers in terms of gender-neutral toy aisles or drag queen story time or these pride parades that have literally um, naked human beings that are walking through uh, these parades in front of children. And we just have to tolerate all of this because... I don't want the law to come after me for being a Christian. Well, no, that is not the standard at all. That is what they want you to think is the standard. So this is a great explanation um, on the flip side of this break um, that goes through the history of how the LGBTQ uh, movement originated in San Francisco and has been actively attempting to change civil society, including the civil government, based on a total rejection of truth in the sphere of human sexuality. So we'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. Last year, because of you, Preborn's network of clinics saw over 58,000 babies saved. Thank you to all who made this possible. Let's celebrate these precious babies. Daisy and her husband decided they never wanted kids. When she found out she was pregnant, she immediately thought abortion. But after she and her husband met her baby on an ultrasound and heard the heartbeat, their hearts melted and they chose life. 
Her baby Jeffrey is healthy and beautiful. Daisy and her husband can't even imagine life without him. Each of these babies are truly miraculous, and every day, Preborn celebrates 200 miracles. $28 a month can be the difference between the life and the death of a child. When a mother meets her baby on ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine connection that doubles the baby's chance at life. Let's join together and help mothers choose life. Just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby or visit preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Speaking truth with love. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. Welcome back. And we are talking about the overall view of truth that is codified in law and how law recognizes somebody's morality and somebody's truth. And it just depends on whose truth are we talking about? Is it the objective moral standard of self-evident truth that is reflected in the God of the Bible? Or is it the arbitrary subjective truth of some sovereign or collection of a majority? And that is what, uh, by the way, these people who advocate for um, a social uh, con- construct um, a, and a social contract for the U.S. Constitution, I think, are terribly misinformed and are actually buying into this notion that the U.S. Constitution is a social compact that will um, inevitably allow the majority to rule. And this is based on Rousseau's view of the social construct theory and um, the social contract. And how um, just as a collective, our founders got together and as a majority then enacted um, the U.S. Constitution that we can amend, um, but that it is totally just a social compact. And um, that would then reflect the false notion that moral truth is arbitrary. And if and when um, the founders or you know, whoever is in control of America wanted to reinvent society, um, doesn't that sound a lot like the leftists, then we have the power as human beings to simply reinvent our reality and say, well, now we're going to move the goalposts and we're going to say that moral truth is along these lines and along, you know, some totally arbitrary line that human beings can draw for ourselves. And that's not at all what the founders said. They allowed us to amend the Constitution so that we could continue to enact a more perfect union. But they recognized in the Declaration of Independence unanimously that our rights come from God, our creator, not the government. And the sole purpose of government is to preserve and protect those rights. And so the way that we do that in our system of government that can be tweaked, amended, and you know further aligned with truth. And we have to be able to adjust. Um, we have to be able to, to make some of those corrections. But charting our course and the goal and the moral bright lines, those things can't change. And that's how we are predicated on a biblical Judeo-Christian worldview. But the left, of course, wants to tear down um, all of those guardrails. Uh, they want to reinvent and reimagine society, and they're doing that primarily through the LGBTQ agenda and this whole notion of the social issues. And that has been intentional. And this next speech that I want to play for you, and um, this is 18 minutes, so so it's it's long, but it is so worth it. And um, and so just uh, you know, take take 18 minutes. Listen to this from an Orthodox priest who uh, was talking years ago in the country of Georgia um, to a gathering of religious leaders. 
and talking about the origins and the intent of the LGBTQ agenda that was started in San Francisco, where um, in California, where he is still um, a, a priest of a gathering there. And listen to the intent of what the LGBT agenda is clearly all about. Listen to this. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Your All Holiness, Catholicos and Patriarch of Georgia, Ilya II, Evlogison Vespota, I ask your blessing, highly esteemed and deeply respected brothers, Levon and Alan and Larry, such a joy to be here in Georgia, and I'm so deeply grateful to have this invitation to speak. I was born and raised in Los Angeles, California, in the United States, as was my father and his father before him. Los Angeles is the birthplace of the LGBT revolution. Los Angeles is the international center for homosexual propaganda and activism, the leading producer of its literature, the primary source of its media, the location of its religious iteration in the so-called gay church, and the center of its financial base in Hollywood. More gay and lesbian institutions have been started in Los Angeles than anywhere else in the world. AIDS was first discovered at Cedars-Sinai Hospital in Los Angeles, wiping out what was for gays a golden age of so-called sexual freedom. Los Angeles was the site of the first homosexual uprising in history, 10 years before the Stonewall riots in New York City. And it was there that the first called, so-called Gay Pride Parade was held in 1966, just a few months before I was born. At that time, the gays dragged a 20-foot papier-mâché phallus down Hollywood Boulevard, truly an expression of the idol of their devotion. I stand before you today, dear friends, as someone who has lived through the revolution, a revolution more disturbing to the norms of human civilization than perhaps any other revolution. When I was born, the Los Angeles Police Department was making thousands of annual arrests of homosexual men for public sodomy and fellatio in our city parks and public bathrooms. There's a long and consistent history of unusual bathroom use in the LGBT community that has consistently endured. Even a sitting U.S. congressman, Larry Craig, was arrested in 2007 for soliciting homosexual sex in the Minneapolis-St. Paul International Airport. Today, there are digital apps that guide homosexual men to particular bathrooms for sexual acts throughout the airports and other public places in America. Keep that history in mind when you hear about the contemporary debates about the so-called transgendered bathroom bills. That is a history no one is talking about. Hollywood in the early 1960s, though already deeply corrupted by sexual anarchy, was still submitting movie scripts to bishops and priests for approval, for moral evaluation before going to screen production. 
At that time, in the late 60s, still 75% of American homes were occupied by married couples, husbands and wives, fathers and mothers to our children. Most of the United States had anti-sodomy laws. Los Angeles had its own ordinance against cross-dressing. California's law code referred to homosexuality as the infamous crime against nature. How ironic that in these few decades now the only infamy is to consider homosexuality an infamous crime. Americans just a short while ago knew that sex could be unnatural, that perversion existed and was unhealthy, and that it was never purely private and that it had tremendous public consequences. That was 50 years ago. Today, California is transformed. It is the paradigmatic study for the radical rise and cultural ascendance of the Rainbow Revolution. And no one should ignore California's lessons, for they are being propagated around the globe today. What is the pattern of that revolution? In 1953, one magazine, the first gay journal, began publication. In 1958, the Supreme Court of the United States ruled that homosexual magazines were no longer violations of the anti-obscenity Comstock Law. In 1955, the One Institute of Homophile Studies began offering courses, holding an annual conference and publishing a journal. UC Berkeley taught its first undergraduate courses in gay and lesbian studies in 1970. By 1972, the first queer studies program was launched at San Francisco City College. These were the first gay studies programs in the world and have since spawned numerous gay and lesbian study programs at secular universities. Harvard University endowed the first chair for gay and lesbian studies in 2009. LGBT activists in the mid-20th century identified three major obstacles to the legitimization of homosexuality. The law, the mental health profession, and the churches. And upon these three obstacles, the movement fixed its gaze. It became more aggressive, organized guerrilla tactics, staged lesbian and gay kiss-ins in public, disrupted professional conferences of psychologists, especially those studying reparative therapy, and disrupted church services. And this aggressive LGBT activism was successful. In 1973, the American Psychological Association removed homosexuality from its list of pathologies. In 1975, all California laws against consensual homosexual acts were revoked. Having altered law and having altered psychology, the remaining obstacle was opposition in the churches. Religious opposition to the legitimization of sodomy remained and remains the bane of the LGBT movement. Roman Catholics, Evangelical Protestants, Orthodox Christians, and Mormons, by far constituting the great majority of religious believers in the United States, remain dogmatically opposed to the legitimization of sodomy and committed to the support of the traditional family. Proving unable to intimidate believers, the LGBT movement turned its gaze to a full-throttled attempt at marginalization 
of America's traditional faith communities. Suppression and social ostracizing are the tactics today in the promotion of what is the most intolerant movement born in my country, a true celebration of intolerance. When the LGBT movement exploded on the scene in the 60s, its claim at that time was an appeal for societal tolerance. But any reasonable observer of LGBT literature, lifestyle, or parade display would conclude that the gay claim for tolerance is disingenuous. Gay literature over the course of decades in both academic and popular genres decried traditional marriage as patriarchal, chaste marital sexuality as sexual repression, and religious opposition to sodomy as base bigotry. Theirs was not a call for tolerance. Theirs was a call for the overthrow of traditional religious and civilizational norms for family, sex, and law. Gay pride parades provide a prism through which to understand the movement's angst. These parades feature, amongst other grotesque displays, a troop of dancing gay men dressed in nothing but G-strings from the waist down and as Catholic nuns in full habit from the waist up. They call themselves the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. And they don't just walk in parades in front of politicians and CEOs. They enter churches. They disrupt liturgies. They defile holy things. They stand in communion lines and they commit sacrilege. Does that sound to you, friends, like tolerance? Extremist provocation is what it is. In 1976, Los Angeles officially established Gay Pride Week, and it has since become not just a state, but a national commemoration. These are the new holy days of the secularists, and the movement has its new icons as well. California has made May 22nd Harvey Milk Day to be celebrated in its public schools, and the LGBT activists have established gay-straight alliances on the majority of our high school campuses. The goal is the overthrow of traditional marriage and family life and the essential restructuring of society. Having victory in the media, in medicine, in psychiatry, in the law courts, and on the secular campuses, the LGBT lobby is now pressing for the suppression of dissent. The new immorality has been legislated and all opposition must be silenced. Currently, the State Assembly of California is debating AB 1888, an atrocious bill that would strip California's Christian colleges and universities of any ability to receive federal and state financial aid unless they endorse same-sex marriage and would expose these academic institutions to crippling discrimination litigation. The sodomization of California was and is an anti-democratic imposition. A majority of our citizens rallied against this to promote state propositions 6, 22, and 8. All were designed to protect traditional marriage. And unable to bear the rebuke of democracy, the LGBT movement found support from our new national oligarchs that is, our activist judges. 
to eviscerate the will of the people, and all state laws banning same-sex marriage were overturned last year in 2015. Today, the USA has a national ambassador for the promotion of sodomy, and it uses the LGBT agenda as a litmus test for granting humanitarian aid and military intelligence against terrorism to needing nations. How far we have fallen. Here is but a summary of a volcanic movement that has succeeded far beyond the imagination of its founders, a blitzkrieg of social upheaval, an outbreak of societal insanity, an explosion of vulgarity and perversion unheard of in the history of the West that makes the barbarian invasions of the 5th to the 9th centuries, popularly known as the Dark Ages, look timid. It is the withdrawal of grace from a culture, the descent of the plague of impenetrable darkness, the ninth plague on ancient Egypt at the hand of Moses, the God-seer, upon the contemporary West. When will this degrading ideology crumble? This ideology is a cultural and religious iconoclasm. The homosexual political agenda is anti-religion and anti-civilization at its core. There is no precedent in any religion or civilization for defining marriage as between two persons of the same sex or legitimizing same-sex eroticism. Such violent iconoclasm does not just hold in contempt classical religious and political philosophy, but it disdains and it claims superiority over all the great religions of the world not just rejecting Judaism and Christianity, but Buddhism and Islam as well. Buddhism rejects a lifestyle in which sexual pleasure, unhindered by the moral considerations of nature, fidelity, and chastity, is celebrated. Such attachment to sensual pleasure in Buddhist teaching is an obstacle to nirvana. Homosexuality is regarded as an impediment to acceptance into Buddhist monasticism. And the Dalai Lama has affirmed that sodomy is considered sexual misconduct in Buddhism. The Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path forbid unlawful sexual acts, including sodomy, as the misuse of nature. And the LGBT movement recoils at the consideration that moral law governs sexual acts at all. Islam condemns sodomy as both a sin and a crime. Surah 7 castigates men who lust after other men instead of women and brands such persons degenerates. Muhammad is recorded as ordering the execution of anyone practicing sodomy. If you find anyone doing as Lot's people did, kill the one who does it and the one to whom it is done. It's reported in the Hadith. The sacred texts of Judaism present sodomy as such an offense to heaven that the fires of hell appeared ahead of time and consumed Sodom in the flames. Moses, the God-seer, forbid sodomy in the Pentateuch as a sin and a crime. Quote, You shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female. It is an abomination. Leviticus 18.22 Jesus Christ, our Savior, not only reaffirmed Moses' legislation against sodomy in his famous Sermon on the Mount, He also reaffirmed the terrifying position of the homosexual city of Sodom on the Day of Judgment 
and press the law of chastity, calling upon his followers to be free not just of unnatural sexual acts, but of perverse sexual thoughts. St. Paul called same-sex erotic attraction unnatural affections and evidence of a depraved mind. And to approve these acts, he says, is to abandon God. Not even pre-Christian Greco-Roman society, so abused in gay apologetics, could bear with sodomy. Socrates abhorred it, and Greco-Roman society never conceived of undermining the normative definition of marriage as a union between a man and a woman with the intention of bringing forth and raising children. Classical society held in contempt the notion that whatever is done privately by consenting adults has no impact upon the stability of the city itself. Classical society knew that private sexual anarchy is never ultimately private and always has a detrimental impact upon societal health and virtue. Eros was understood as a dangerous god, never to be given free reign, and sexual desire is never judged simply innocent of itself, nor justified by having love as its object. Both the object itself and the desire must be legitimate. They must always conform to nature and moral virtue, or else wreak destruction in private and public. Plato is clear. There is no such thing as safe sex if sex is against nature. So here is the essence of the conflict, my friends. It is the LGBT versus the JCIB. Judaism, Christianity, Islam, and Buddhism. Gay propaganda throws such classical wisdom to the wind without a thought, nor a reference, as though it never existed, as though these religious traditions do not possess the hearts of the great majority of the world's populations. They want civilizations to reorient themselves overthrowing millennia of wisdom to embrace the legitimization of sodomy and to crown it with the august dignity of the title marriage. Such a cultural redefinition of marriage is suicidal. I have lived in the heart of the LGBT revolution, and I have witnessed my nation disgrace itself before God and men. And my counsel to beloved Georgians is this. Stand firm in your faith against the LGBT revolution. Do not give in or your cities will become like San Francisco where there are 80,000 more dogs in the city limits than there are children. Tell the LGBT tolerance tyrants this lavender mafia, these homo fascists, these rainbow radicals, that they are not welcome to promote their anti-religious and anti-civilizational propaganda in your nations. May God bless your courage, and may God protect your lands. Amen. So that was uh, Father Josiah Trenham. For those of you who joined uh, the program in the midst of that about 18-minute uh, speech, you can go back and listen to the full uh, program, of course, at AFR.net, and you can click on the icon for Jenna Ellis in the morning and listen uh, to that full speech. You can also see it on YouTube, um, and and this is actually a video of the whole speech as well, and it's titled Gay Iconoclasm, Holding the Line Against the Radical LGBT 
agenda. And I thought that the way that um, Father Josiah spoke about this and articulated the fundamental depravity and the intentional destruction of civil society and of nations that is implicit in the LGBTQ agenda was excellent. And 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 I would encourage you to go back and listen to this um, several times and, and share this with your church, um, with your pastors, because I think that this fundamentally needs to be understood uh, by the church, by God's people. And of course, um, you know, he referred to um, the, the Jews, the Christians, the Buddhists, and even Islam, which of course we know as Christians, we don't all worship the same God. Um, we have distinctions, clear distinctions in our theology and of truth. Uh, but the thing that we do agree on, even um, among all of those religions, is that marriage is between a man and a woman. And as he described, human sexuality uh, cannot thrive in the midst of this intentional uh, destruction that is is pagan and is frankly from the pit of hell and we need to stand firm instead of being the wishy-washy so-called tolerant church this isn't about tolerance this is about standing firm on the truth and ensuring that our law reflects truth so that we can build a moral and upright society. So again, this speech is called Gay Iconoclasm, Holding the Line Against the Radical LGBT Agenda, and it is from Patristic Nectar Films. So you can watch that either on YouTube or you can go back at AFR.net, click on the icon for Jenna Ellis in the morning, listen to the full a version of this program and you can hear that speech um, again if you listen to the whole thing or if you came in in the middle of it uh, you can listen to the whole thing as well and we'll be right back with more here on jenna ellis in the If you're like most of us, you're paying way too much for healthcare. That's why I want to tell you about a ministry that has been meeting the healthcare needs of hundreds of thousands of Christians, and that's Christian Healthcare Ministries, chministries.org. Christian Healthcare Ministries is cost-sharing made easy. For over 40 years, this unique model has allowed believers to choose their own doctors without worrying about networks or waiting periods, since they are not insurance, but a faith-based alternative to insurance. Members not only get advantage from the affordability, flexibility, and reliability of CHM, but they also receive access to 24-7 telehealth services at no additional cost. It's no surprise that doctors across the country appreciate working with CHM, and so will you. It all starts with a visit to chministries.org slash AFR. That's chministries.org slash AFR. Christian Healthcare Ministries is the longest serving health share ministry serving all 50 states. Share the good news with a friend too. chministries.com slash AFR. Make the switch today with any time enrollment. Speaking truth with love. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. Welcome back. And we are talking about the LGBTQ agenda and how the intent of that agenda has been specifically to infiltrate churches, to tear down civil institutions, including law and policy. And if you missed uh, the speech from uh, Father Josiah Trenham that I played in the last segment, go to AFR.net. Click on the icon for Jenna Ellis in the morning. Listen to that entire speech. Um, He gives brilliantly the history 
history of the LGBTQ agenda and the intent um, to truly d- destroy civilization. I mean, I, I I can't put it more plainly than that. And I know that if there are leftists listening to this, they're going to, you know, oh, you hateful, bigot, intolerant, whatever. Well, you know what? Truth requires and is intolerant of falsity. That's the definition of truth. And so we have as Christians, unfortunately, and a lot of conservatives bought into this false notion that society and civil government generally should be tolerant of everyone's beliefs. That That is an inherently inconsistent position because when you have rights like the fundamental right to freely exercise religion, that will necessarily come into conflict with the LGBTQ agenda. And we saw that very clearly and prominently in the Masterpiece Cake Shop case, where the right of the Christian baker to say, no, I'm not going to participate, use my creative skills and talents to participate in a same-sex quote-unquote wedding, then conflicted with the homosexual couple that was attempting to forcibly compel him to participate. And so what does the law say on that? Well, the law... In any society, how it answers that question of whose right prevails and what is the answer uh, to that dilemma will necessarily reflect what that society values, what it believes about truth, and what it believes about this notion of quote-unquote tolerance. Um, Because if we allow, if the law allows the the tolerance in the way that the LGBT community is suggesting, then that is by definition being intolerant to the Christian. So we don't actually have tolerance. There's no way in our reality that the law can tolerate everyone's beliefs. And we see that so clearly in what the law prohibits and says, no, you can't. Like you can't infringe on someone else's Rights. No, you can't, for example, just go out and murder someone, um, which the definition of that would be unjustified homicide. Of course, there are exceptions. There are things like the Kyle Rittenhouse case, for example, where that taking of a human life was justified under the principle of self-defense. So it is therefore not murder, right? There are, there are always um, exceptions. There are always uh, theories and justifications of different actions. Um, But overall, the law is right to prohibit murder. We can't just go out and arbitrarily take a human life. Uh, And that's that's obviously the, the gravest example. But it proves the point, the overall principle that the law does not tolerate everyone's behavior. It can't. Otherwise, we don't have law at all. We just live in complete and total anarchy. And yet the LGBT agenda and this progressive leftist notion of tolerance would suggest that the law should be tolerant of everyone's beliefs and everyone's actions. They know that that is actually impossible. And what they're suggesting, though, under this notion of tolerance is that you, Christian, need to tolerate Uh, the LGBTQ lifestyle and belief system, and you need to bend over backwards to allow the redefinition of marriage, the capture of institutions, the proliferation of uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion in all of our institutions and companies and economy. And we don't have to tolerate 
your Christian beliefs. We don't have to tolerate when you object to that or when you want to abstain from participation or when you want to, as a business owner, not run your company according to woke ideology and principles. So they're not actually pushing for tolerance. They're pushing for their religion to triumph over Christian truth and over the truth of the reality to which God presents us that even they cannot escape. They can't escape the fact that men and women are designed differently. There are only two genders, that marriage is between a man and a woman, and the only way to have children is from a man and a woman, and men cannot get pregnant. I mean, all of these things that are just basic facts of biology, they can't escape. But now they're suggesting that you have to be an expert, you have to be a biologist, or you have to be a, um, a psychologist that is trained in these woke principles in order to articulate the observable fact that there is a measurable difference between a man and a woman, that men cannot get pregnant, uh, and and, and and all of these obvious things. Just like um, you don't have to be a weatherman to observe that it's raining outside. Right. But that's what they are falsely propping up is their experts so that they can squash all other belief systems and they can ultimately squash the truth that is in conflict with what they are trying to ram down our throats. And this is why overall the entire point of the show is to say the law has to reflect truth. And it's not to say that then Christians and the church as an institution needs to run the government. We're not talking about a theocracy. We're not talking about Christian nationalism. We're not talking about a violation of the separation of powers, anything like that, or the institutions that God has ordained. What we are talking about is that the civil government as an institution must necessarily reflect truth, reflect reality, enforce that reality and enforce that truth in our codified moral law. Otherwise, we descend into chaos. And that's what we're seeing in our civil society today is that rapid descent into chaos because we have bought into this false notion of tolerance that ultimately is intolerant toward the truth. How do we do that? Well, that's what we talk about every day on this show when we talk about the headlines of the day, analyzing them through a biblical worldview and participation by Christians in our civil government as one of the inherent blessings of liberty. So you can always reach me and my team at Jenna at AFR.net. Again, you can listen to uh, the replay of this or any other program at AFR.net. And always, always, always be praying to the Lord for the future of our nation and be sharing the truth of the gospel of Christ. Make it a great weekend. I want to thank my sponsors, Preborn and Christian Healthcare Ministries. Preborn Network Clinics have rescued over 200,000 babies from abortion, and every day they save 200 babies' lives. But they can't do it without our help. Will you head over to preborn.com slash AFR and sponsor an ultrasound? Christian Healthcare Ministries is the longest serving health cost sharing ministry, helping Christians pay for and pray for one another's medical bills. Make the switch today and start saving. Visit chministries.org slash AFR. That's chministries.org slash AFR.